Wow. Thanks, you guys, for leading us. That was awesome. Good to see everybody here. Man, still full. How about the trees? Starting to change? Looking beautiful? Pretty awesome to be up here. Um, you know, there are funny things about our town. Uh, one of the things we noted uh, earlier this summer was that uh, there's this, that strange thing where, you, where you're following someone down from Crested Butte to Gunnison and they're stopping, you know, you're, you're forced to tailgate. Okay, we determined that that was called being subied because it's always a Subaru who's slowing you down. <laughs> Gives me so much comfort to be able to put a name on that thing that's happening to me. I'm, just, I'm, I'm like, what? And then I'm like, oh, I'm being subied. It's fine. There's another thing that's so funny, um, and this is the, this other one. Maybe we get a name for it, but when you're uh, coming down from the mountain, and then there's someone from another state on your tail like nobody's business, like there's a sail at the gypsy, and, I, and she's got to get there. You know what I'm ta- Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Here's what's hilarious if you're a local. Um, see one of your friends driving down the mountain and just get on their tail. Just drive down. They're like, what? Anyway, I don't know what that's called, but uh, that's another idiosyncrasy of our town. Maybe you know what that's called. A lot of little things. I got another one I'm going to save for another day. Um, We are in a series about great prayers. The prayer, the person praying, and the prayer itself. And they, they really go hand in hand. It's amazing to see how God uh, has brought these people to us in the scripture to teach us how to talk to him. We don't know how to talk to God well without instruction. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to see how he has laid that out for us through these different in- incidences and these different prayers throughout the scripture. And we're going to be back in the Hebrew scripture again today. We looked at... Um, we looked at Nehemiah a couple of weeks ago. We're going to jump forward this week to, uh, to uh, Daniel. Actually, uh, where is... Where, where were you last week again? Peter. Peter, yeah. Okay, we jumped forward to Peter, back into the Old Testament with Daniel. And let me, uh, let me say this about Daniel's life uh, in his prayer. The, the thing about it is that Daniel prays this prayer that we're going to read, but this, it's less about the mechanics of the prayer and what happens in the prayer and how he prays and all of that, although that's important, and it's more about what's behind it and what draws him to pray in the faith that he had in his prayer. So I'm not trying to give and, and learn just for myself instruction about how to do this, I think the most important thing we can do is be inspired by Daniel and the way Daniel goes to God and why he goes to God. So what I want, I hope more than anything, is that you walk away feeling inspired by this guy, Daniel, in the space that he was, the world that he was in, and the prayer that he lifts up to our God, to his God. The thing about his prayer is it reveals that he knew that he could only be satisfied in God, that nothing in this earth, nothing on this earth, nothing that could happen to him, for good or for bad, was above what God had for him. So inside this prayer is 
is this person, Daniel, who believed that, whose faith was so strong in that sense. And he, another thing that Daniel believed and he held dear was that God would make things right in the end. God will make it right. Now, it may not be that it is made right in our lifetime or the way we want it to be, but God will make it right. He will make all things right. And so Daniel firmly had faith in that, in the God that he believed in. And so be- between those two things, they, in- they inspired him and led to this prayer we're going to read. And I hope that they inspire us as the story unfolds. So before we read it, I just want to give you a little bit of backstory about Daniel. And, and many of you know this, but it just, uh, it's important to, to get in touch with who this guy is. And so you've got to try to put yourself in Daniel's place just for a minute. And I think some of these things resonate even with our culture today. But Daniel was 13 or 14, and his nation, the nation of Israel, Judah, gets taken over by this king, king of Babylon. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. So you've probably heard about that before. But can you imagine being 13 or 14 and being taken off to a foreign country, I mean a completely foreign country, removed from everything you knew or hoped for or dreamed of, experienced or anything, and are now in this foreign country. And you were in, with Daniel and his friends, they were sort of the cream of the crop. They were some of the, the best looking, it says, and the most accomplished young men. And they're pulled away into this other culture. Imagine what it was like for the parents to see that happen. I mean, you just got to put yourself in that place of what this felt like to this kid, Daniel, being taken hundreds and hundreds of miles away to Babylon, which was like the antithesis of everything that the Jews held dear, right? Uh, in that place, uh, he's, he's taken where, to a place where uh, the king is put on a pedestal instead of God being put on a pedestal. Right? And the king is always trying to make himself be the one who everyone is looking at. And by the time we get to our story, the place that we're going to be, Daniel's 80 years old. Okay, so he's been, uh, not in captivity, but he's been conscribed. He cannot leave his role, and he's been there for 66 years. Now, I can look around and see that none of you have passed anywhere close to the, that 66 years of anything, Right? And he's in this place where the leaders that he is with, these guys that are his co-workers in the kingdom are so jealous that they're willing to kill him. Can you imagine having co-workers like that? Some of you may. I don't know. All, all of these things have happened and are a part of the story. And there's so many other things that happened in Daniel's life. But we're going to jump all the way up from uh, where he is uh, uh, from a child. And he's, we're moving up to this age of 80. And I want to read 6, 6 through 16 with you, just to get the idea of the whole thing. And the prayer is in here in verses 10 and 11. Then these high officials and satraps, those are just another name for for that kind of person, came by agreement to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days except you shall be cast into a den of lions. O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Okay, here's the prayer in 10 and 11. 
And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had the windows of his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And then they came there and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except for you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they answered and said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, he pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but he makes petition three times a day to his God. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. And then these men wait, came by a grit. Wait, did I miss? Sorry. I looked up at the balcony, and I totally lost my place. Because <laughs> where I was much distressed, set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. And these men came by agreement and said, King, know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that, is, that the king establishes can be changed. So just reminding him of what law he signed. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve con- continually deliver you. So I want you, and I want myself to be inspired by the prayer of Daniel to teach us what it is to look to God in faith, that he will make all things right, and that nothing that can happen to us, nothing on this earth, is outside of his control. He will take care of us. And three things about that. One is the predicament that Daniel's in. Another is the practice of prayer that we see that he's going to display for us. And finally, the petition, what it is that he is asking for. So his predicament, and then the practice of his prayer, and then the petition that he makes before God. So the predicament. We talked a little bit about that predicament, this culture that he's in. But uh, one thing that you notice when you read the passage is that even at 80 years old, he is still longing for home. So put yourself in Daniel's shoes for just a second. Because did you notice when he goes upstairs, he has the windows that are open towards Jerusalem. Right? Now, you know, put that with, within your own heart for just a minute. This is a, f- a fully grown man, right? And he's still longing for something that he wants so badly, longing for home, that place, the place that he remembers as being right with God. There's a sadness there, you know? Uh, my dad is, is 86, and man, he is the slowest moving dude you have ever seen. And he'll admit to it, wow, he is so slow. But it's, it's when... I, I try to picture Daniel, and, and 80 is pretty old for somebody of that era, right? And certainly he wasn't moving very fast. And even at that age, when I think of my dad, and, and he tells me stories about when he was young and where he grew up and these kind of things, I wonder if that's sort of this place that Daniel is too. You know, he's, he's still looking back and longing for that thing that was home for him. So there's that going on with him. But there's something even more important about it than just him longing for home, longing for a place that he is no longer. 
And that is that he is looking towards Jerusalem because that is the place where the Jewish people understood God's glory to dwell. And more than longing for home, what he is longing for most of all is God's glory. And when you see the prayers of the other people from the Hebrew Scripture, almost all of them that we'll look at, they will almost continually refer to the glory of God revealed through Jerusalem or through God's place there, or through his people there. God's glory is revealed through his people. And that was the home base of that. And so he's, he is looking to that place and longing for that. And I think a few weeks ago, you may remember one of the reasons that we pray. In fact, the most foundational reason we pray is not so that we can have stuff or have everything fixed or made it right right now, but instead for God's glory, because in, within God's glory, we are most satisfied. When he is lifted up, we are most satisfied. And so that's what he is looking towards. That's what he is desiring, God's glory. He longed for that. Now, let's think about his work. I just want to make a couple of points about where this guy works. Can you imagine if your boss was the megalomaniac that this King Darius is? I mean, a lot of us have trouble with our boss, but wow. I mean, or anyone who has authority over us. This guy says you can only pray or make requests, you know, in a spiritual nature to me. You can only speak to me. You know, sometimes I get distressed and a little bit depressed about our world and where it's going, our nation and all that kind of stuff, right? I think we all have those moments when we're watching the news and we're like, oh man, click. I can't take it anymore. This is a whole other level. This place that he is, it's not just moral relativism that we're washing around in. This is complete rejection of everything that is what's held to be true by the Jewish people and by us. And so there is an amount of stress in that place when your coworkers want to put you to death that's hard for us to imagine. And here's the thing about it. He's, the way they decide to condemn him is... They condemn him based on his faith, based on the fact that he loves the one true God. Now, you think after 80 years, he's been through enough, right? If you read his story, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's lived on the edge forever. He's been walking this crazy line of, of life and death for his enti- this entire career of misery in this other place. And now, because he goes and prays, that's the one thing that they can hold on to. I mean, the predicament that he is in is a tough spot. He's condemned for his devotion to God. And so here's something that I see in that for us. And that's that as believers, it's probably wise for us not to think that because we're believers, everything is going to be better right now. Right? That God doesn't prevent us from going through hard things. He takes us through hard things. He's not Santa Claus who's going to make it all just fit. He will make it right in the end. But it is his glory that we're after, not our fixed everything. He takes us through the hardest things. Don't expect it to be easier. And I, you know, Daniel's friends, when he was younger, went through that thing where they refused to bow down to a previous king's uh, golden image. And so he said, well, if you're not going to bow down, I'm just going to put you in this uh, furnace, right? You've all seen that and heard that story. Well, so they say, well, you know what? Uh, that, was, uh, that was Nebuchadnezzar at that time. They said, you know, we're not going to do that. We're not going to get on our knees before you. 
And let me read to you what they say, because it is so powerful. We could stop right here. And I think Daniel had this in his heart. They, they said, and this is in uh, chapter 3. The king says, If you don't worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of its hand, or my hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve, okay, get this, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They say, God is able to deliver us. They don't say, oh, we're just going to walk around in there. Everything's going to be fine. But he is able, and that was enough. That's powerful. When we think about the, the thing that drives us to pray, is part of that is knowing, believing, having faith that he is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, but if not, he is still the God of the universe. Right? That's cool stuff. He is able. If he does, not do it. He is still God. So, I think Daniel is, is still doing that in this day. He's still praying, saying, God, you're able to deliver me from what's going to happen. Yet, if you don't, you're still God. I still pray. I still talk to you. I still follow you. And I'm inspired, personally, I'm inspired by that drives me to want to pray, to talk to this God. All right, so that's the predicament that he's in. But then the practice, you see some of the practices that he employed when he prayed, which are really important to us on a regular basis and how we communicate with God. Look at, uh, look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber facing towards Jerusalem. He got on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Well, he has a routine of prayer, right? He, no matter what happens, he goes and prays, and he prays three times a day. I'm wondering if those co-workers of his were like, okay, well, there's the first one. I wonder if he'll do the second. Okay, there's the second. I wonder if he'll do the third like he's always done. And there he is. He's doing the third time again. He's praying again, again. It's just like he's always done what we said has had no bearing on whether this guy is going to talk to God. I don't know about you, but if I have a real early breakfast, then I may not spend time with God in the morning. The breakfast may impede my ability to spend time with God, right? Almost anything can distract me from that time. Nothing would distract him. Nothing could be, nothing could be further from breakfast than this. You will be put in a den of lions if you, okay, that's a distraction. <laughs> that's a reason to find a breakfast appointment. He had a routine that was so uh, significant that he would not leave. It doesn't have to be morning. That's, you know, I found that that's a pretty practical and, and meaningful time for me to spend time with God. But almost anything will interrupt that. I had a, uh, uh, co- uh, not, it was my coworker of mine, a friend of mine that I lived with. I was a senior in college. And uh, 
he did something that I had never seen anyone do in my presence before. Uh, And I probably should set the stage by saying that he was a very faithful and devoted and disciplined person. His name's Mike Bertino. And I just, uh, if you know me, I'm just more flighty and, you know, whatever, I'm distractible and everything. He, every morning, I would get up whenever I got up and, and come in to head out to class and he would be in there spending time with God in the, at the kitchen table every day. Now, I'm not saying that's the way to do it. You don't have to do it like that. But he showed me that there is a way to spend time with God every day. And it meant a ton to me. And what I'm saying to you is it matters if other people know that you will be with God and talking to God. All right? Part of his practice certainly inspired the other Jewish people in his community. What do you think? They heard the decree. They knew who Daniel was, and everyone could see him praying, right? Certainly they were inspired by the determination he had to stick with his plan to talk to God. So something we can learn about the practice of of praying is to make a regular time out of it. Because this is what Daniel does, and it's so encouraging. Then it says that he kneels down to pray. So there's a physical position that he takes. And, you know, when, when we're in a crisis sometimes, we will automatically, like, kneel down at our bed or at a chair or whatever and say, God, you, I need you to save me. Crisis pushes us to our knees. But he gets in this position of submission to God on a regular basis three times a day. So the position that we're in, the place that we're in, the way that we come to God can in, influence everything about how we're interacting with him. Right? So one thing to think about in application of this in, in looking at Daniel is maybe it's not getting down on your knees. Maybe it is. Maybe it's lifting your hands. Maybe it's a place you go privately. Maybe it's a spot that you know is, is absolutely only yours up on the mountain somewhere. And you go and you, and you humble yourself before God physically in that place. You know? There's a, a way to physically put yourself in a spot that connects us to God more fully. And that's what Daniel is doing finding that physical position. So find a physical action that helps you connect with God. For, for me, I think I've told you, I write out when I pray because I'm so, like I said, I'm so all over the place that I'll, um, I have to write it to stay focused. So that's how I do it because I have to get in a physical position with a pencil to make myself stay connected and not start thinking about something else. So find a, a way that you physically put yourself before God. And then it says... Did you notice this? It says he gave thanks. What in the world is happening here? Not only is this a a routine he won't stop, but he thanks God in the midst of this situation that he's in. All right, so we can all stop right here. And there are situations we would rather not be in. All of us. I think he's setting the stage for for James, who in the New Testament will say in in chapter 1 and verse Two, he says, count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The only possible way to look at trials, that kind of suffering, and be thankful is when we know that there is a God who is going to make it right. There's no other way to do it. I think Daniel was... uh, 
doing something that we would call uh, here in our church abiding. One of our DNA statements, one of the four things that really define who we are at Obi Joyful is that we abide in Jesus. And though Daniel didn't know Jesus yet, Jesus was still on the horizon, Daniel was connecting himself to God in a way that can only happen when you, you can only be thankful for a situation like this when you know God deeply and have deep faith and trust in him, that he will make things right and that nothing that can happen in life is, is greater than what he can do for us. So he has these practices of spending time with God in the midst of a terrible predicament and throughout his whole life. And then we come to this petition. These people who are accusing him find him, and he's in the midst of making a petition and plea before God. And I wonder, uh, I want to read to you from Daniel 9. It's a prayer that comes up a little bit later. I wonder if he was praying then for the glory of God when he was making a petition before him. He, he probably was praying that his life would be spared. But was he praying for the glory of God, which he does in 18 and 19? Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. And here it is. Delay not for your own sake, for your glory. Oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Your glory is what I'm praying for. Deliver us, save us, but this is about your glory. That's the reason for prayer. But he says something in there in verse 18 that I think is so critical for us to remember. Uh, see, emulating Daniel is, is good. Doing what he did, following his practices and that kind of thing, that's, that's good. But that's, that's almost like bringing the ingredients of a cake together and mixing them all up and then not putting them in to the oven to heat them up. You got to have the heat to make the cake. I'm just going to sit there. Did you notice in 18, the, first, the last part of 18, he says, we don't present our pleas before you because of our righteousness. Like we, not because we dot all the I's or do everything that's good, but because of your great mercy. The ingredients of our actions mean nothing without the heat of his mercy. So... Um, when we go to pray, when we apply these principles and this, this information that we have about how Daniel prayed, one of the most critical things we can remember is that he was dependent on God's mercy first, not what he did or his structure or anything else. And he knew that God was able to take care of him. Let me, let me wrap up with this. Uh, you know, most of you know the rest of the story. Uh, He gets convicted. You know, we read that at the end of, the, of that. And the king can't get out of his, his, uh, the law that he set up. So he says, all right, Daniel, you have to go in the, the lion's den. So the 80-year-old guy goes in the lion's den. I mean, come on. And God protects him. 
God takes care of him in that. Uh, and I don't necessarily think it's because Daniel prayed that he would be spared. And I'm not sure that was on his lips at that age, you know, after all he'd been through with God. But I, I do think what was on his lips were the same prayer, was the same prayer that his friends prayed so, so long ago. God, you're able, but if you don't, you're still God. And I, and I hope those thoughts will inspire you as you pray and as you think about talking to God today, this week month. Let's pray. God, I, I, I am inspired, encouraged by Daniel. It's, it's been so much to take in uh, for me. can uh, barely put it into words to see uh, and be so motivated by a guy who um, is, has been through so much and then is convicted at the end of his life because he's still faithful to you. Uh, but God, he, uh, you have more for him to do. Maybe it's just for us to hear his story. But God, we confess that we don't often believe that you're able, and we especially don't have the faith that says that even if, you're a, when, if you don't do what we ask, that you are still our God. Lord, may that be uh, a change in our prayer as we go forward from now and from here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys have an awesome week. Good afternoon. Good afternoon.